Greetings and welcome to In the Finest Hour, a 40k podcast featuring tips and strategies you can use in about an hour. I am the good host, Shailen Allen West, and with me I have the neutral host, Sean Morgan, also known as Abuse Puppy. Hello. And our evil host, Ben Jurek. Always glad to be here. Always glad to be evil? Oh, that too, but I'm glad to be here. That's good to hear. So, um, I'm about to go to my first tournament in well over a year. Uh, like, weird things happened. Like, I got engaged, and then I got married, and then I had a wedding anniversary, and now I'm finally going back to a tournament? Still wrapping my head around to that. Yeah. The, the time has been a weird void, I'll tell you that. Yeah, it turns out global incidents are kind of worldwide affecting. So... I thought we'd take a moment in a Crosstalk episode where each host kind of describes our general tournament philosophy set and tries to justify them in proper Grecian debate to the others. What is a Grecian debate? I don't know. I'm making this up. It's a debate done fully nude and oiled up. Well, give me a second. (laughs) Where's the olive oil at? Oh, you can't use olive oil. Uh, in the interest of not making this X-rated, I will leave my undergarments on. That sounds like sexism to me. Uh... If, if, uh... if we can be nude, you can be nude. Okay. Look, this is a, this is a audio format. How do you know <laughs> I'm not nude every episode? That is fair. I mean, I wouldn't blame you. I have a husband who hates pants. <laughs> I hate pants too honestly I've observed that many men hate pants but women prefer them so it's really funny <laughs> <laughs> alright uh, so the the stupidity of Sean's idea of Grecian wrestling, wrestling aside uh, we're more going to just kind of pick them apart in good fun I guess <sighs> whatever that means Sean's in the room well, I mean, are we are we here to pick things apart? Or are we here just just to have happy, fun time and discuss how we how we individually each approach our tournaments? Because I mean, mine actually you know shifts somewhat by my mood or like what my goals are. Because my goals are always shifting and changing. I, I guess the the thing we're gonna do is we're gonna kind of generally summarize uh, three general common goals we use at tournaments and kind of the philosophies we use trying to apply those in. Uh, let's start with you, Ben, since you just volunteered. Well, I'm being voluntold now, but I will go first. Uh, so, because I do prefer to go first, I like to play skew lists. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so my mindset, um, I come from a background of hyper-competitive hobbying slash gaming. Uh, whether yeah. it be Magic the Gathering, video games, uh, particularly my past was like Halo 2 and stuff like that. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and uh, particular like medieval phone fighting and, and a few other like various hobbies. I have a terrible habit of always wanting to be in the like hyper competitive tip of the spear. Um, and with that, I've always been in a very um, strong mindset of uh, learning from very good coaches and other competitive players of varying types and varying hobbies, but it all kind of like boils down to like that same mental mindset of like, here's what you need to do to win. Uh, mm. And you have a very, it's, it's, it's very optimistic. It's a very positive, very powerful mindset, but it's also not the, it, it tries to draw a line between that and arrogance. Gotcha. Um, whenever I'm getting ready for an event, I'm always, uh, I always have a very, positive i'm going to win here's how i win mindset but at the same time like you still have that that bit of modesty of like here's what i would take to lose or um you still are open you're still very open to those vulnerabilities and such like that so you're you're not going in blindly being ignorant and arrogant about the situation you're definitely you definitely have a very powerful like here's my game plan here's how i'm going to win and you you, you give yourself that vision specifically. You you see yourself as a winner. You can see yourself on the podium. You don't go into an event with an expectation of oh I might three and three or four or two. No, it's a, it's a it's a I'm going to an event with realistic expectations. I would like to win. Here's how I can win, um, and you might adjust that little scale from there to there from beginning to end. Okay, so to kind of summarize, you 
you visualize a plan and you let the plan and the vision of the plan carry you throughout the tournament. The plan is your victory, obviously. Yeah. And I mean, depending on like what I'm playing, particularly if I'm playing, you know, the list and whatnot, I I still have like a realistic like level of, of okay, if I go into a tournament that I haven't played forever before, I'm gonna go in with a okay, here's what here's how I'd like to do. Of course I'd like to win, but here's I, I still like set micro goals for myself because that's another step toward winning and being successful at more than just gaming is is setting your little steps and bars those little next step next step next step that get you up um it's like okay well i'd like to have a winning well it's like well i'd like to break even okay well i'd like to have a winning record and sometimes it happens at the tournament like you go 3-0 day one you're like oh well that's that exceeded expectations now what you can change your goal okay yeah Sean, do you have anything to add there? No. Uh, I think Ben and I have similar approaches in a lot of ways to things. Um, not not exactly identical, but I think in, certainly in terms of the, the broad strokes of what we're trying to do and the kind of gaming backgrounds that we come out of, we're very similar in those respects. Okay. Yeah. So what parts do you do differently? Um... I think I'm more granular than Ben is in some areas and less than others. Um, I'm usually looking less for specific improvements. Uh, like, I don't I don't typically set an explicit goal of, like, I want 4 and 2 this event or anything like that. Um, but I'm trying to sort of uh, track my progress on tournaments more broadly. Uh, you know, how have I done at the last five events I've gone to, etc. Um, gotcha. But I'm I'm a lot more particular about um, the I think the the kind of study I do of like potential opponent lists and stuff like that, um, where I'm I'm looking a lot at. Like, how do I match up against this specific army? What do I do gotcha. if I run into this particular person at the event? Um, and I'm I'm really looking at the specifics of uh, less, how do I go four and two, and more, how do I beat this person? Gotcha. Uh, because you are going from that competitive mindset we've mentioned where you're basically aiming to beat the top tables and you're not... You're faintly focused on the mid-tables, but it's not your major focus. Yeah, and and even if you are even looking at, like, when I'm like, okay, I'm not probably not going to win this event, but I know who my obstacles are. I know who the mm-hmm. best players of the tournament are. I know what kind of lists they're playing. Um, and so I'm always very focused on uh, matchup-specific kinds of stuff. Like, as soon as gotcha. the lists for an event get released, I'm going through all of them and saying, how do I beat each of these lists? Uh, and certainly I'm going to focus the most on the the lists that are being played by the, the, the upper-tier players, but it's still very kind of like one-to-one matchup. Like, what do I do here? What do I do there? What do I do against that? Okay, yeah. So, like Ben, you're a planner, but you're more on a case-by-case planner than a general planner. Yeah, in some ways. Yeah. Uh, I think Ben and I plan for different kinds of things. Yeah, to to expound upon mine a little bit, it's not just being planning, it's more just a, the, the, the level of mindset that you go into an event with. Um, so like, I always, like if, if there's a particular meta that we're, which Sean is referencing, um, like where there's, you know, certain, like the, the A lists essentially, like mm-hmm. right now would be currently the admic lists. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. how can I beat this list? Um, and yeah. what, unfortunately right now we're, we're in a prey, um, is the answer. But the, aside, aside from that, like I, I said, I can have very, um, direct, like, thoughts and uh plans of just of you know looking at like especially like a smaller event like a 32 person event i'm gonna look at like the six players i'm worried about um that are gonna represent the top tables likely and i'm gonna like dissect the shit out of their lists and be okay what can i do to to do this what secondaries are gonna choose because 
it's really good when mm-hmm. you get paired against them to be already know exactly what you're doing. You don't need to think about it at the table. You save yourself a good 10, 15 minutes. It's actually really nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You really don't want to be playing the matchup when you get to the table. You want to know what your plan is already the moment you walk up and shake hands with them. Um, because if you're, if you're, like you said, you know, that saves you 10 or 15 minutes, that means you're 15 minutes behind if you don't know what you're doing when you walk up to that table. Yeah, and a lot of times, like, especially in an established meta, you've already thought about how am I beating this, like, A-tier netlist, because there's not a lot of variation uh, that you see outside of, uh, you know, a few handful of players. There's the, how do I beat the current hot Harlequins list? How do I beat the current hot... What insert faction here list, um, and it, as being a faction player who's lo- who is pretty loyal to his faction for the most part, unless I'm like topped out on, on points, um, is uh, it's pretty difficult sometimes to be in that situation because there are some things you have to accept. Like you're like, yeah, my matchup in this is like a forty percenter. It's terrible. Even if I play my aest game, it's my matchup into this is is god awful. Um, and you, but you still plan for that forty percent. Yeah. I'm in a very weird circumstance for me personally because I'm used to having an army that basically loses most of its games without some really weird shenanigans happening. Uh, Just historically, Granites have been that bad. So I'm finally going to the thing where it's like, I actually have game plans that don't involve rolling over and dying. I'm not quite certain what to do with this. Um... Currently, given the fact that I'm out of practice and stuff, I'm basically treating all tournaments right now as just extended practice sessions and social occasions. So my philosophy going is I'm going to go learn something, even if it's the hard way. I think I think that's what I try my best to tell other players that are afraid of tournaments or are like, oh, I'm not ready for a tournament. I hate that statement. That statement like mm-hmm. enrages me on the inside. Like, I'm not ready for a tournament. I'm like, I'm like, it's the best five rounds of practice you'll ever have. Yeah. <laughs> Also, as we've stated before multiple times, uh, the social aspect of tournaments is deeply important, and it's part of one of the things that draws and keeps you there. Um, Sean and I have selected a relatively casual tournament experience for our first one. Neither of us are probably expecting to win. I'm expecting to win at least one game, mentally. Uh, I suspect I'll probably go 2-3 or 3-2 if I'm getting really accurate, but... I'm hoping to win at least one game. But right now, I'm more after uh, having a good positive experience and learning because I learn best by doing, and while I can study and read things on the internet, they don't really stick until I actually experience them across the table the same way as I would like. So that's kind of my philosophy uh, when I'm in a more casual state of mind. When I'm more competitive and I actually have a sense of knowing things already... Then I'm more of the kind of, okay, well, what do I do about this matchup? What do I do about this kind of game? What do I do about this kind of board situation, much like you and Sean are? But just currently, I'm more in the, I'm just going to go have a good time and hopefully win a game. Yeah, I guess it depends for me, like, how how tryhardy I want to be. Because sometimes I get that champion's pack. Uh, and I look over the missions. Sometimes I'll actually like plan out my deployments. I actually think about my missions, especially if I've seen like pics of the terrain, or if I know the tables are pretty like the same across the board. Sometimes I go that extra mile, and I say that extra mile just, just definitely pays off. There's there's definitely a lot of reward for your effort put in in this game competitively. The more you put in, the more you're gonna get out of it, especially as yeah. like results. So um, definitely, if you know there if there's if people are asking what more can I do. Uh, that list is incredibly long. Yeah. Uh, I will tell you right now that one of my other expectations is to be disappointed in the terrain status. I very rarely go to a tournament where I'm legitimately content with the terrain. I often dislike the terrain for some reason or another. Um, so I just walk in like, this is just going to be bad. Yeah, the unfortunate reality of terrain at tournaments is that it is very hard to get right, and pretty expensive. Um, there certainly yeah. are tournaments that have good terrain, but they're kind of the exception rather than the rule. And that's not a knock on all those other tournaments, because it's a very difficult thing to do correctly. Um, 
yes. an even very experienced and very heavily funded tournaments get the terrain wrong pretty regularly uh, because there's lots of ways to do terrain badly and there's about three ways to do terrain well. It's like playing a violin. You can make all sorts of noises out of it, but whether or not they sound good is a completely different story. Yeah. Let's let's shift to talking about terrain for a second, uh, as far as uh, prep. So um, it it can get really weird because I don't think I think terrain's one of those things where no one's ever going to be happy. Um, like the the like you're gonna always going to have a crowd of people at your tournament that are dissatisfied, dissatisfied with the terrain for one reason or another. Like when I when I was at ACO, someone was just like, "It's too dense. I can't fit my models." And other people were like, "There's not enough. My stuff's getting shot." And like I don't. It's very difficult to find it where someone's just like, oh, I love the terrain here. Like, it's, it's usually a middle group of people or a silent majority because they're, they're the people that aren't complaining. And why would you ever give good feedback uh, without being without it being volunteered? Um, so, like, I think that's the hardest part is on the TO side of things is that you're not going to make everyone happy. You have to kind of pick a line of what you believe terrain should be. Um, I know the most recent open that i went to which is the lone star open we had player place terrain which mm-hmm. um was a thing yeah um the the packet the packet and rules for it were well well written my feedback uh is mostly neutral to negative depending on which board it was uh i believe the thing my biggest gripes were in their player packet they had a lot of stuff that was just like these craters are obscuring and everything that everything counts as heavy cover like those are the th- those are like the, probably the two things that were like pretty annoying about it also i literally had to break i literally had to ignore those guidelines to allow my stampa to fit uh, which they specifically put in as an asterisk in their in their packet that they they could do that um but it was a uh, it definitely exposed a lot of bad player uh, play, players that weren't used to it cuz uh train placement is a skill in itself um mm-hmm. yeah and I, I'm so mixed on it because I think it can be done well, but I also don't want to see it applied to 40k as a whole because it, it makes that competitive curve even much much higher than it already is. Uh, what do you guys think of player place terrain? I'm with you, kind of there. I I feel that it's it's just another dimension in an already complex system to optimize. And the other issue I kind of have with it is. Um, it takes up time at tournaments. That's time that can be spent playing games. Yeah, I don't hate it. Especially if there are some limitations on how terrain gets placed. But I think it it can create some incredibly feel-bad situations for players who are not experienced with it. And especially for people who are not as familiar with the game. And I think that that is something that kind of deters me away from it. Um, Just the potential to be like, oh yeah, I know you're not, you don't get to shoot at me because like I actually set up all of the ruins over here and created a little safe protective box around the objectives. And you didn't realize you needed to stop me from doing that. And so you don't actually get to play the game. You just have to kind of watch and realize that you can't get within 24 inches of me and you can't shoot me from more than six inches away. Yeah. Thankfully, the particulars of the how they had the placement, uh, at least in this example, uh, were pretty acceptable. Um, you couldn't, like, you couldn't create Wall of China anything. You couldn't truly yeah. box in anything. So it was fine. I had one particular matchup my one of my only one of my only like straight losses uh was to like the meta ad mech list um and i couldn't interact with his anti-tank units and i had a titanic uh model so um he he built it he did his terrain perfectly uh where i there's no way i'd ever get los on them uh and i just sat there and died so definitely definitely the lame side of the experience and i can say on like a typical board i would have been able to interact so there's mm-hmm. one of my losses is definitely partially attributed to uh, player place terrain. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why the set terrain available 
at some of the events is that kind of philosophy is to prevent these feel bads. Uh, but it's also like, I don't want to be thinking about placing terrain and dealing with it because no offense, I'm a lady. I often hit myself on terrain just because of the nature of how my body's built. And it's where I want terrain mechanically and where I want terrain to actually execute the match are two different things and they are not in line. I think a lot of players miss the little section at the beginning of most packets that say you and your you and your opponent can agree on terrain and like move things around if you need to be. And I, I think I think a lot of gamers are just not confrontational enough or know that they can say something and be like, you know what, I think this ruin's a little too far back. I'm gonna nudge it up so models can fit behind there. But then you get like the edge case where someone doesn't want, really want to play a pair like that. And like, oh, that gives you an advantage. Why would I let you do that? And then you have to call a judge and it gets contested. Where if you actually make it a rule of, okay, players, place your terrain. Um, I think that's what they're trying to go with of, you know, making players actually discuss terrain for once. Because a couple of my boards, especially specifically against like more skilled players, um, looked very much like regular boards. Like it was, it was like, oh, it looks like this is a standard board. Hmm. Go figure. It's almost like they work for a reason. Uh, and at the same time, like my, my games against less experienced opponents, the boards were a little bit wonkier. Um, like there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like density toward one side or the other. And like there was an attempt made, but it wasn't that well thought through. Well, I think that's enough uh, getting sidetracked talking about player place terrain and the consequences thereof, good and for worse. Um I guess the best way to do that is to be really open about it before the tournament starts so that when people sign up for your tournament, they know what they're expecting and walking into. Yeah. And if you do plan to do player place terrain, also plan some time in it in the schedule so people have time to place the terrain. To to follow to finish up on the tangent of terrain, um, that is one of the things I think about in tournament prep for is specifically like what what is the terrain rules? What are we looking at? What what's your general board gonna look like? Um, and I sometimes actually change my list based on that. Yeah. Um, well, and admittedly, I have for many years played an army that was basically banking on terrain to protect it from the worst of the sins of my opponent. And unless the terrain was super dense, I often didn't like it because I was in there. I'm like, I can't hide from anything. Oh boy. Um, probably my least favorite terrain are those tables that have what i call like the dome buildings that you can't get in and you can't get on they're just line of sight blockers split around and there's no real any other type of terrain i hate those they're basically disguised planet bowling ball i think in ninth they're not as terrible as long as they're obscuring because you have that footprint and that infinite tall cylinder essentially it's not that, it's that they move the model an inch and, oh, look, they can see my unit and obscuring doesn't matter and my unit is dead. Uh, okay, because they can still get a, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, and I'll get a cover save. So it's like, it's just like five levels of crap. Admittedly, I get cover saves now because I've tied of shadows, but that's a separate story. So if that's your hated terrain, what's your favorite terrain? <laughs> my favorite terrain is a table full of ruins. <laughs> Well, I mean, like a specific rune. Like, you're talking like an L, talking like... Uh, L's and U's. Uh, things I can put models on and in. Things I can hide behind if I want to play the hide-behind game. How about you, Sean? What's your favorite piece of terrain? Um, In terms of actual play experience, I actually really like having a variety of terrain pieces. Um, it, thematic tables are cool... And they can be fun to play on, but they often don't give a great experience because it's like, this is a city terrain. It has 11 buildings on it. Oh, okay. Um, so having a mix of different types of terrain with different keywords and different sizes and whatnot, I think gives a better experience. Um, although because I often play shooting heavy armies, it's very easy to be like, well... You know, if there's no terrain on the table, I'm probably just going to win because I'll, I'll I'll shoot at my opponent and then all their models will go away. Yeah. Um, and I had a different philosophy of my modules are too fragile for their points, so I need something to keep them alive. <laughs> and I happen to need a little bit of both. Um, yeah, well, I've got better defenses now, so it's not too, too terrible. My my favorite piece of terrain, specifically in 9th edition, uh, is the forest. 
I love dense cover. Uh. Dense cover is probably my most favorite piece of terrain to interact with. Um, outside, outside of your typical obscuring ruin, and if we're talking obscuring ruins, we're going to go with the classic L, opposing L's. Mm-hmm. Um, some people like seem because I had the, had this conversation with a game store where they're doing their L's, but like the open sides were facing each other, so it looked like a big building broken apart. But I'm like, this doesn't pro- this doesn't provide meaningful cover. This is actually terrible. Don't do this. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a reason why particular styles of armies were winning their RTTs, and it was like, flip them the other way, and you'll be much better i promise <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. so uh but yeah opposing l's uh are my favorite are, are the ruin i like but i actually as far as this edition i really enjoy how forests work they do the most things and they provide the most like meaningful interaction without ever having your your model ever needing to be like in it yeah that's true um probably my fo- most favorite random piece of terrain is a barricade if I was going to go that route. Um, I think they're thematic. I think they're fun. They don't really stop you from moving, and they can provide little cover in like, little bursts here and there. They're really good for transitioning your models across safer. Mm-hmm. So I think they're, tactically speaking, some of the more fun terrain to interact with. All right, then. I think, I think small terrain pieces are very underestimated. Uh, yeah, they they give an advantage to infantry models. They can be kind of placed around in otherwise empty sections of the board. They don't make traversing things impossible for larger models, but they also don't just leave those huge gaps all over. Yeah, they don't. Um, they don't make it so high. Here's a firing lane, and the tower will destroy you if you ever wish to touch this area. Yeah, there's actually a chance now. My uh. The orcs just got a open top fortification that I may be bringing to a couple of games. Um, oh, tell me more about this weird thing. Uh, it's the it's the gargant head. Um, it's like a it's like a T eight twelve wound open topped uh, fortification you can bring. The funny part is you can deep strike it because it's. It... <laughs> <laughs> um. So. I'm excited to play with that a little bit. Uh, it also has a specific rule that says units embarked uh, count as stationary, uh, so they don't take the heavy penalties and junk. So um, that's fun. There's a, there's a particular amount of silliness that I'm looking forward to with this little like 75 point model, um, and it's like T8 12 wounds. So yeah, I'm I, I want to play with it. And an extent if you have a war boss in it, it extends its auras. So i i'm That's gonna, fun. i'm gonna try playing with it the the thing i'm actually having a difficult time with is that specific you can't place it currently within three inches of like other terrain so mm. i'm trying to be like mm, well where are my drop zones because some uh, where i'm playing at currently there's been i'm not playing any, any places that have light terrain at all like they they all have a decent at least like 12 pieces of terrain okay yeah and it's that's fundamentally unfun if you can't play with the model you brought because rules yep yeah, I know that has discouraged a lot of sister players from bringing the Battle Sanctum. Yeah, the uh, yeah, I know John Lennon brought his Battle Sanctum specifically because the player plays terrain, because you can place it first. Yep. And then place your other pieces of terrain. I wish fortifications I had access to were good, because I do miss using my Aegis line. Yeah, they seem to have made a very explicit choice to just make all of the fortifications bad this time around. Yeah, I mean, they look cool. Uh, what's the one that shoots the mortal wound whistle- missiles? I the like uh, Aquila defense point. Yeah, that one. Yeah, the Aquila strong point. I got one of those. Oh yeah, that thing. Yeah, I have, I have, one, I have one too. Sitting in my closet. It's I'll, I'll bring. <laughs> it's pretty cool, but BS five up for five hundred points is marginally less cool. Oh, it sounds like an orc model. Yeah. Yeah, but instead of like 96 shots with each of its seven guns, it gets 1d6 shots with its single. Oh, gun. There, there's there's the trade-off. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. Um and it's not that tough. I mean, at the it, end of the day. it it's basically as tough as your statistics can make you be, uh cuz it's toughness 9 30 wounds like it's it's got a whole big pile of things it's just that like the game has escalated to the point where 
that is not nearly as frightening anymore. Uh, it doesn't have an invuln or anything, so it just no. kind of sits there and takes damage. Yeah. Right. And for 500 points, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, oh, that's right. That was the reason I don't find them intimidating. Um, I... I have a psychic power that does against leadership, and buildings have leadership zero, so it's just like, hi, here's half your wounds. Oh, that's rude. That's very yeah, rude. Yeah, it's very rude. Um, so, I guess I guess we'll move away from terrain for a second. I, the thing I'm wondering about what you guys do, because uh, I always like to figure out what people's personal like behaviors are, is how you wake up Saturday morning, Friday morning, if it's a three-day event, um... And from wake up to t- to uh, to dice roll, what what's your morning ritual? What's your specific? How do you like to go into an event? I have a routine. Well, what is it? Uh, like most autistic people, I have morning routines. I get dressed in a very specific order. The clothes go on my body. I'll often wash my face or something, and then I will eat some sort form of breakfast. Usually, oatmeal as my preferred tournament breakfast. Uh, Because it's easy to travel with and cheap. And then I will see if Sean's awake and or ready, because I usually travel with him. And then we kind of meander over there when we are both completely ready to go. Once there, I unpack my army from its army case, put it on its tray, repair it, and then I go run around like a maniac and go, eee, all the pretty models. (laughs) (laughs) That's my routine. No caffeine in there or anything? No particular, like, check... I'm not a caffeine person. I if I'm needing if I'm needing a caffeine thing, it's because I literally didn't sleep the night before because my insomnia kicks my ass. Okay. And Sean, what's your, what's your morning uh morning routine? Your pre-tournament go. Uh mine is not particularly complicated. Like I just kind of get up in my normal way. Uh, but usually, uh, assuming that lists have been pre-posted, like most tournaments are requiring these days, uh, that, that whole previous night and that first morning is me just kind of, like, combing through the lists again and again, looking for what players I recognize are playing, what lists are potentially dangerous to me, etc., Occasionally I will or won't have conversations with Sean on that sort of matter, um, but I'll probably play some app games or something just to kind of just have a normal morning. My particular ritual is I, I believe in like setting off your foot on the right step when you get up, so I, I do everything I can to be kind of like empowered in the morning. So the night before I will have, especially if I'm staying in like a hotel room um, that's at the event, if I have to drive to the event in the morning it's a little bit different, but like... I will. I'll have my army all glued together in case there's any breakage in the in the shipping. Um, everything's gonna be trayed, uh, and I like to get a nice fresh shower in. Um, I really like I really like fresh like clean clothes. So like sometimes I'll actually go like even the extra mile and, like iron my shirt and stuff like that. Um, just because I like I like to feel good when I go to a tournament. Um, I'm a caffeine okay. I'm a caffeine addict. Uh, so I usually have either coffee or energy drink um and i usually have a very small breakfast i don't like a heavy breakfast because a heavy breakfast makes me feel uh, a little bit sluggish so mm. uh so I, I have a light breakfast and then i pack a snack because round two snacks i believe are essential to winning an event um because uh, after round two it's usually lunchtime and depending on if you have lunch break or not you may not get what you need and that blood sugar crash is real bad so uh I, I like to pack a snack. I like to make sure I have everything straightened away. I double check weird rules specifically. Like if I have weird models my stuff, I double check that I'm playing the rules right. And if I know there's weird stuff on my like that I saw on the list, like a like a weird model I've never seen before, like oh what exactly does an Ares gunship do? I actually like look at specifically the weird stuff yeah. so I know what it does. Um, and that's kind of i get to the event i put down my my tray and i start socializing because i'm a very social person yeah um like ben i actually shower the night before because i'm usually gross from travel and i don't like going to bed dirty um i will occasionally shower the morning of if i have one of those insomnia nights where i toss and turn and sweat all night because that happens to me but I do try to go in fresh and clean. Um, I always have completely new changes of clothes every day. 
I'm not an unhygienic person at tournaments. I try not to be one of the smelly people. <laughs> and we thank you for that. Deodorant is important. Um, I hate wearing deodorant, but I make an exception for tournaments. Yeah, there, there's a uh, there's a there's a specific stereotype, and I do not wish to be part of that stereotype. I always pack lunch or food um, at the tournament Sean and I are going to upcoming. They have provided lunch, it's barbecue, and it's by people who I know really like barbecue, so it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. So what are you guys' expectations for this event? Um, not a lot, to be honest. Uh, all of my armies are in not very good places right now. And that's even in, like, the context of the broader codices, to say nothing of, like, armies that are actually, like, winning. Um, so I, I've kind of gone to this tournament with the expectation of, like, I'm not gonna do well. There's not really a way to make that happen. Um, especially because it's been, like, two years since I've actually played at a tournament. Yeah. Um, Grey Knights seem to be pretty mid-pack right now, from what I can tell. They're not bad, but they're not top-end. And which is why I'm kind of like, you know, almost everyone there is kind of various levels of out-of-practice. 3-2 probably isn't out of my reach. Um, but 2-3 wouldn't surprise me, because I'm not in practice either. Um, but I do have what I feel is a pretty solid list for the faction and that I'm not going to, you know, go in making really, really egregious tactical errors unless it's round three. I basically know how my army plays and what I need to do with it. So what are you, what are you guys exactly bringing? Because uh, I mean, Sean, you mentioned like neither army's in a good place, so what what you what are you bringing to the event and you know what what's your what's your current plan to win because you said you do like a plan <laughs> a plan uh, so to what, win so what what's your what's your current plan to win with this pile of garbage well the basic plan is the same plan that Tao always have which is if i shoot at things and they die i can win the game which is not a very good plan, especially not in 9th edition, but it is the plan I've got. So uh, I'm, I'm bringing Storm Surges, because I like the Storm Surge, even if it's terrible. Um, and I intend to have them shoot at things, and hopefully those things will die. And yeah, that, that's about as complicated as Tau get. Are, are you going triple Storm Surge, or are you going full balls to the wall with that? Three three storm surges and then uh, a couple of devilfish full of troops and a couple units of stealth suits and tetras, uh, just so I have at least like a vague pretend scoring game. It's it's not a good plan. Gotta get that remora tech right. Uh, I'm I'm not running the remoras because they don't score objectives basically. Uh, and my army is so bad at that already that I can't afford to give up points that aren't going to get objectives. Just just take them for engage. That's all you need them for. <laughs> yeah, the problem is other units can also get engage, and I can do that for a similar number of points with a unit that can actually hold an objective. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I'm, I'm, mostly, I'm mostly teething. Um... Yeah, it's... No, it, I, I actually really like Remoras now. They are quite good. Um, but when you're dropping 1,200 points into three models, you got to be really careful about where that remaining 800 goes. Um, and part of that is also just, like, could I bring a, like, 300-model Tyranid army and just sort of, like, swarm the table and probably beat a lot of people by virtue of them not having enough guns? Yeah. But... 
I would hate playing every moment of that. It would be a torturous experience to try and finish games in three hours with that many models. Uh, so running a relatively fast-playing army uh, is much more in my interest for a tournament like this. Um, and also, the tournament has weird missions, so it's going to be a case of, like, no matter what I bring, there's going to be a chance that I just won't be able to do, do the mission anyways. Yeah. Um, I am bringing... Voldus and a Libby, because of course Voldus is an auto included in a Grey Knights list. Um, 10 man unit of Terminators, 5 man unit of Terminators, 1 5 man unit of Strikes, 2 5 man Interceptors, and 3 regular Dread Knights, and a, 2 units of Servitors, and that's basically my list. And like 3 units of Dread Knights alone, that's that's majority of an army. Um, uh, well, yeah, it's like about 200 a pop. Oh, and they're not that Okay. They're like 150, 200-ish. Yeah, the Grandmaster version is more. And these are the regs. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I'm explicitly bringing the regular guys uh, because they're cheaper and they're not so much worse that they are worse for the points, if that makes sense. So it's like, well, it's cheaper. It still gets me a Dreadnought chassis. It does basically everything I want to, and I don't actively need the better ballistic skill now. So they play just fine. So what's your game plan to win? Because Sean's is pretty. I'm a big shooty tower army um, with storm surges. Not too much KG there, other than like maybe some breachers running around doing some things. Um, but like with yours, are you planning on being like defensive and cagey are you planning on just like trying to table uh defensive and cagey um so gray knights just don't have enough models to play the attrition game and they never have and they never will so what i'm doing is i is it's a defensive army it's kind of a late game army with some early turn disruptions uh because one of my biggest tricks is i will insert that unit of strikes and often inadvertently steal one of my opponent's objectives at an inconvenient time because it's really hard to block those guys out from stealing an objective because they're opsec or i use them to insert a vortex of doom into an inconvenient spot and cause a spaz in the backfield whatever i feel is more necessary um the 10 man unit of terminators can wreck a lot of things but i have to kind of keep it alive because it's also my thrust unit to stand on an objective and basically plant there and hold it for as long as they possibly can. Yeah, the, the Dread Knights act uh, as a combination of distraction, carnifexes, and just general aggressive thrusting. Uh, they're very multi-use units, so it's like, you want to stop this thing? Can you stop this thing? The Juggernaut comes! <sighs> so that's basically what Grey Knights do, is they kind of tactically and surgically remove the things that annoy them and then sit on objectives all game. Yeah, I mean, I think... As far as secondaries go, you're you're looking at probably like raise the banners. I I think would be perfect for a ten man tournament uh, tournament unit that just sit there and hang out. So actually, raise the banners is terrible with most green really? knight lists because you don't want to turn a unit off for a turn taking an action. Well, I mean, it's only if you don't want to shoot. I don't have units to do that. <laughs> well, I mean specifically, so I'm just looking at it compared to like the Death Guard method, which is most of their army is terminators. They they just walk out and they set an objective and they go raise the banner and they sure they lose out on shooting, but they make an opponent have to do something about them. Otherwise, they just sit there and score infinitely. And if you fight them, well, good luck. Uh, so I will be honest. Uh, Grey Knights cannot afford to lose a shooting for even a turn. All right. All right. Uh, because that's also where my anti-tank and my anti-everything else is. There's a huge difference there in that uh, the, the Death Guard Terminators are three wounds with minus one damage, and Grey Knight Terminators are two wounds with normal damage. Or and not in their envelopes, not even as good, which is womp. womp. Yep. Yeah. They, they Grey Knights can't soak hits the way that Death Guard can. Which is why they have to be actively proactive about killing the things that stop them. Now, yeah, admittedly, right. I got two units of servitors. Raise the banners becomes a little more usable. Because I don't care if I turn my servitor unit off for a turn, but I really care if I turn off, you know, 300 points of Terminators. Okay. I, I was just, I was merely comparing it to other 
Terminator lists running around in this current edition between like between uh, both Death Guard yeah. and Dark Angels, where they kind of they'll sit guy they'll sit a brick on an objective and go raise the banners. They just kind of stand there and say, "I dare you." Um, yeah, no, Grey Knights are actually really bad at the action secondaries in general, unless it's the psychic action ones, because they can still have a relatively normal turn if they use those. Um, that's one of the reasons I take two apothecaries is to be sec, um, basically psychic action dudes. Yeah, psychic ritual is actually a pretty darn good objective, especially in 2021. Um, or mental interrogation, depending on what my opponent's fielding. If they've got a million characters that are going to be up in my face, sure, I'll take mental interrogation. That's free points. Yeah, they're, I think the psychic secondaries are often underlooked these days because you don't have any, as many characters. And I think Grey Knights have an opportunity to have a very high score in that secondary. Um, but on the other hand, I don't... I mean, I've had times where I've used Voldis for psychic secondaries, but it throws away two other powers, so that's kind of... It's less fun to turn Voldis off psychically for a turn, but I can if I have to. Yeah, it's it's nice to point out a, a, like a, an apothecary and go, you, do a thing. Yeah, especially because I usually carry redundant powders on those units anyways. Um, but yeah, that's basically what I do in kind of the army's weaknesses. Now, a fun fact about Grey Knights that people forget is they have pretty solid psychic defense. So when people bring their one or two psychers against me, they sit there and sometimes they have a really bad time because they don't get to have a psychic game and then I get to smash them with mine. Because it turns out plus one to defend is really nasty for some people. All right. Um, so, next question. Uh, specifically, with you two going to this event, um, and the questions for both of you, you can answer in either order. What are you looking forward to? What like matchup or particular thing that's happening in this edition currently? Are you looking forward to playing against the most? And which one are you dreading? So, the matchup I'm looking to most is hoping I get to play Paul Winters, who is a diehard Slanesh player um, brings almost pure Slanesh demons most of the time, sometimes flanked by Castellan, and part of the reason I'm looking forward to that match is I get to use all my anti-demon rules, and I almost never get to do that. Uh, The matchup I'm dreading is Imperial Knights, because I never have fun against a lot of Imperial Knights, unless Paul's playing it. I've actually played Paul Winters, and I, I very much enjoyed my game with him. He is a very wonderful man. He's a good guy, yeah. He has a Make Slanesh Great Again hat, which we thought said something else when we first saw it. Uh, they, the, no, he, he brought 90, he brought like 90 Daemonettes, three Derridios, and a bunch of demon stuff um, when I was playing at the Boise Cup. Uh, was Sean yeah. there? Sean was there too. Yep. Um, so, uh, Sean, same question to you. What's your... What are you looking forward to the most this, this event, and what are you dreading the most? Uh, well, dreading is really easy. It's every single army that's gotten a codex, um, because they're just they're all so much better than Tau. Even space wolves. Even space wolves. Like the space wolf characters can one round multiple of my storm surges with a single character. Understood. Like, I can lose two storm surges to one guy who spends some CP. It's it's bad. In terms of armies I'm looking forward to playing, I don't know if there are any. Like, I mean, there's there's there are armies that are probably worse than what I'm bringing. But, it, yeah, Tau just don't have a lot of good options. Um, but, You're looking forward to the mirror match, if you believe. Yeah, yeah I guess. Um, it's yeah. I'm I'm sure I'll have fun. I'm sure there will be enjoyable games, but I don't feel like there are any armies in the game that I'm like, yeah, I've got a good matchup there. I mean, like if you got paired in like custodies or something, they don't have a new decks. No, but they do have invulns on everything. And obsec. And obsec, and extremely strong melee, and fast units, and arguably the best psychic awakening any book got, and yeah. Yeah, no, um, Sean is... Sean and I have the opposite problem we had last time we were at a tournament. Yeah. Opposite? Uh, I was playing garbage tier army. Now Sean is playing the not high high tier army. 
yeah, it's I, I I just none of my armies are particularly good right now, which is somewhat annoying. I was gonna say I was particularly impressed when you said you were playing Tau. I was like I was expecting elves. I was expecting the space elves of some flavor. Elves aren't that good either. And honestly, neither are knights and yeah. Uh, I I have a number of armies and they are all bad and also almost for sure none of them will get a codex before the end of the year, uh, which is somewhat frustrating. I will uh, have no comment with my fresh codex in hand. Yeah, I I'm 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 not mad about orcs getting a book. I'm glad that they did. I'm not necessarily sure I love what GW did with that book, but um. You know, of the of the many problems that that the Tau have, it's kind of like, oh, orcs are really good now. Well, they won the game against me before too, so this didn't change things any. Didn't make it any worse because it wasn't comparatively good to start with. Yeah. So generally, you two are. That's kind of how I felt most of Eighth Edition codexes. I'm like, yay! Um, just made my matchup worse. Thanks. So you're you're generally taking two armies that you both like to play. Feel comfortable playing, not not expecting grand results, especially con- with the current meta and uh, terrain. And you're going to have a grand time at your first tournament since the plague, quite literally. Yes, there will be a lot of stupid Witcher puns at this event. Hey, they're not stupid. They're, they're good Witcher puns, thank you. Puns are inherently evil. I have to love them. I, I guess I have a different context. I have a husband who won't ever stop saying them. That means your husband is evil, and I love him. Tell him to continue. No, I'm not. I'm not encouraging that behavior. <laughs> I mean, Sean will drop a pun every now and then with me, and unironically laugh at it. Maybe. Yeah, but it has to be a pun that someone won't like. Those are the only correct kinds of puns. See, Sean, Sean comes to the evil side every now and then. Puns are not to be enjoyed. <laughs> Sean's philosophy on puns aside, and my philosophy on overused puns aside, I think that just about wraps us up for this week. Um, It was a pretty big tangent episode for us, but there's a lot of kind of insight into the hosts, how we approach things, and um, what armies we built. We will hopefully have some sort of tournament review something something, so you can kind of follow this up and kind of see what came of the event. Um, but for in the five star, this has been Shaylin Allen West, Sean Morgan, Ben Jurek. Thanks for listening.